episode of Be The Vessel Podcast. I call myself an intuitive psychologist, and I interview those called to the healing arts with various ways of knowing, serving, and channeling the most powerful medicine for our ultimate return to wholeness. I am excited to introduce Dr. John Strax, who I first met early in my own pain journey and who has continued to support me both personally and professionally in charting my own life path. Dr. John Strax is an integrative physician who specializes in chronic health conditions that have not been helped through conventional Western medicine. He is particularly interested in helping people make the mind-body connection, the connection between what is going on in their lives and what is going on in their bodies, as a way to heal chronic pain. He left his hospital practice in 2017 to co-found what is now Cormendi Health with his wife Lisa and an evolving integrative staff of clinicians and healers. He works with clients all over the globe through individual sessions, classes, and discussion groups to help them find healing. You can learn more about his practice at CormendiHealth.com, which will be in the show notes as well. I am grateful to John for his continued support and for being the bridge between Western medicine and all that exists outside its walls. May this episode be an invitation, a medicine, and a bridge to your most expansive and miraculous self. Hi, John. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So um, I'd love to start in, I think, the most natural place, which is where when I first met you, um, I was thinking back, I believe it... This was around like 2015, 2016. And uh, I was just getting introduced to Sarna work. And I was actually working with um, uh, a therapist who was sort of TMS adjacent. And uh, he actually knew Dan Ratner. And he's the one who had introduced me to Dan. So I was just you know, I'd been sick for a few years, but I, w- I was just thinking about going back to graduate school and um, sort of my my life path was just about to expand sort of another level. And I think in healing and in my career and in everything. But this uh, this therapist, Dr. Aaron Reichlin, who was a psychiatrist, I don't think he knew you or maybe he did, but but I actually discovered you just by going on the TMS website, and you were just the only person listed in Chicago. So yeah, yeah. I I reached out, and I still remember um, you invited me to one of. It wasn't your workshop yet. It was I think you were having uh, patients who had recovered, or, or who at least re- had recovered enough to have something to share. And I went to one. I still remember meeting you and being like, yeah, you know, um, I'm, I've, I probably mentioned that I'd had some personal stuff, but I was like, I'm here for research. You know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here professionally, you know, so I was going to write my dissertation on this, which I, which I did, but it's comical because it was very personal. And actually that integration, integration of personal and professional is what has become my life. I, I really don't separate the two as much anymore but i think i was trying to at the time probably to protect my own vulnerability and um shortly after i joined one of your i believe it was like 12 week or eight week mind body groups and and you were one of the first you were probably the first medical doctor that 
I got to experience talk really more explicitly about emotional life, you know, the emotional brain, um, you know, explaining a lot of the the neuroscience and connecting to our emotional life. So um, that's a that's a long intro to this question, which is if you can recall around that time, I think it was around 2015, 2016, where were you um, in your own TMS or mind body journey personally and professionally? Like, had you been doing that for a while already or was that, where were you at that time? So I, you know, as, as you know, and, and potentially as people who are listening know, right. I had my own health issues, yeah. but that was in 1998. So yeah. yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. And, and I went to medical school from there. So I remember the first time, like I talked to an attending physician in med school and said like, Hey, this woman's here with back pain. She's really stressed. I think that's the answer. And the attending was like, what are you talking about? Like, what did the MRI say? That's what I want to know. What did the MRI say? <laughs> and, and so I, you know, but I knew, I knew I wanted to do this. Like from the moment I got better, this is what I was going to do was try to figure out how to help people in this way. And so, you know, I started calling Dr. Sarno back then, like when I got to medical school or maybe before I got to medical school and he put me off for a number of years. Like, you don't even know what you're going to do when you grow up. Call me. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, um, and finally in 2007, I believe. So I was a second year resident. I called him one more time. He's like, be out here in New York on Tuesday. So he um, wasn't he wasn't like super receptive to showing you the ropes at first. He was not. He was not. And you know, he was you know, he died at what like age 97 maybe wow. 95 and so that I think was around around that time, so 2016. So that he was probably in his mid 80s by that point and I think he had had so many people over the years yeah. tell him yeah. he was crazy or, you know, I think people probably called and said they were interested only to yeah. like go there and berate him. And, yeah. Yeah. and so he was super guarded at that oh, point. Interesting. And, um, uh, you know, I had another experience, interestingly, when I was in medical school of calling a physician who was a, a medic internal medicine, psychiatry physician. So he was double boarded in internal medicine and psychiatry. And I told him I had interest in both and was, was thinking about doing a residency in both. And he said, no, you don't like just that. No, no, just nothing. Just nope, nope. This is not a good pathway. Don't do it. And, and so, you know, and, and I had a classmate interestingly in med school who, when I was sort of talking about this and the struggles of trying to figure out what I was going to do post-medical school, uh, a classmate who went into cardiology, but said, he's like, I don't understand. It's, it's the, the intersection of fields where the really exciting things happen. What are you, what are you scared about? Interesting. So you, um, yeah, it's interesting that that you had started to have your these sort of mind body experiences before you went back to medical school. Which, and I also know that um, I think you were in social work and doing some other things in sort of 
the emotional realm or, or working with people, at least mm-hmm. in relationships in a different way. So it sounds like you were able to come to medical school already with a bit more intention, maybe already with a bit more of a holistic perspective. Uh, no, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I, I, I graduated from, from Yale in 1991 and took a $17,000 a year job working at a youth center on the Northwest side. <laughs> wow. Like, um, wow. I, I'm sure and, your parents were like, Oh, interesting choice, John. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I worked in that youth center for a couple of years and I worked in child welfare for a couple of years, partly cause, and, and this would be interesting to you too. Like I, I've always been very psychologically minded and, um, you know, remember having a, a discussion when I was 20 years old, so a senior in college and a guy I didn't know very well, who's sort of like, he's like, dude, what are you doing at Yale? You're like, you're not a very good student. You're not really in, <laughs> not really in, uh, you, you know, in any of these activities, like you play a lot of golf. Um, it's like, kind of like, what are you doing here? And my answer, interestingly, was I know people. And so for a whole variety of reasons, like I, I know people, I know how to, how to understand people. Oh, and that's so, what you meant. Because I feel like that could also be interpreted like, oh, you yeah. have connections that got Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I didn't have any connections. No, but, no, 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 yeah. but you no. meant like, no, I understand people. I understand people. Yes. And, um, and that was my contribution. That was my contribution. Then that's my contribution now. And, and so you know, so I was there doing social worky things because I was interested in that. I was interested in social justice and I was interested in people. And and I and I was doing a lot of yoga at the time. And so I was very interested in the mind and body connection. The biggest benefit I got, I mean, there are a lot of benefits from that work that I did. And that was over a six, seven year time frame. The biggest benefit is that I was with people at their most vulnerable and I saw the 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 you know the worst of the worst and so yeah. the the most profound example of that is you know we were working with independent teenagers who were learning to be independent so like 18 19 20 year olds and i went out once on christmas eve to deliver gifts to the children i was working with and i was talking to one of them who said you know, he said, it's really nice to be somewhere on Christmas Eve. I remember the year I was 11 and I went out and, um, uh, and sold drugs to buy presents for my brothers and sisters because my mom had sold the presents to buy drugs for herself. And so like no other physicians have heard those stories and, and I've heard those stories. And so the things that people say to me don't scare me. Because I've heard it. I know what people are like. And I feel not only did you hear those stories, but you did it in a role where you weren't expected to then deliver some like medical wisdom or sort of figure out some problem. You were really, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you had other responsibilities, but you were really there as a container, as just to be, and the, I mean, learning to be with people in distress is invaluable i mean because we are so whether you're in sort of the healing arts or not a lot of us are just conditioned you know as parents as kids because this is how it was done to us like 
when we're in distress, the conditioned response is to try to fix it, to try to make it go away. You know, it's, it's, it seems so simple and yet so rare that just being a container, being sort of an energetic source, sort of being the light, being uh, Mm -hmm. filled with compassion and coming from nothing, but love not trying to get anything from them not not even trying to make it go away but just being there is i mean it's invaluable and if i gained anything really from going through uh years of grad school and training and everything it was that it was it was that and so you came in with an invaluable gift already um that then the you know the medical the, the very valuable medical knowledge and information um, could scaffold the foundation of what you already knew, which is that y- you knew people, you knew how to be with people. Um, and I mean, I don't even have to, have to have to ask the question because I know it's influenced you, but I, I remember in one of the, I think in one of the last times we spoke, which we were just saying was like a year and a half ago or something, <laughs> you were telling me that even how you, how you, Maybe you always saw yourself this way, but how you see yourself as a doctor was almost like as um, not necessarily a friend, but someone who was just going to help figure things out with people and really just give them everything you knew, give them your time. And and so so I'm curious, how, has that continued to evolve? How do you see yourself as a, as a clinician, as a healer um, in that way now? I... You know, what I say frequently is I have a lot of different roles in in what I do. And so the mind-body medicine work is probably half of what we do these mm. days. And yeah. that started out as as 2%, right? It just wasn't very much of what I was doing when I worked in a big hospital system. And so that's why I left the hospital. And so, so, so even even yeah. when so like when we met, you know, even mm-hmm. though you'd been exposed to this for a while, you had your own journey around around 2015, 20. So it was still a very low percentage of it was still a very low percentage. And and when you and I met, so so around that time, I was starting to make my way out of the big hospital yeah, system. I recall, yeah. It was a conversation I had with my supervisor in early 2016. I believe where I was saying, you know, this job's good. It's not great. It's, you know, I really would love to make it a place that's great to work. And, and she and I had had that conversation multiple times. And for whatever reason that afternoon, she was like, there's no great. This is what it is. Take it or leave it. I was like, "Um, okay, I leave it. And then it took me about a year and a half to, to find my way out of, out of that into my own practice. And, and I did a, a podcast with the curable app in that summer, summer of 2017. So after I had given my notice, but before I opened my, my clinic, I didn't even know curable was around then. Yeah, they had, you know, they, they and I used to meet for breakfast to kick around ideas for how to start. And so I think I was like episode seven. So maybe they started in late 2016. Okay. And uh, and I said, I, you know, I, I planned to leave and open a, a center and, but I wasn't sure that there was a demand for this aspect of what I did. I said, you know, I'd been at the hospital for eight years. It had never really taken off. And I thought maybe it was just too difficult, too esoteric, too something, but I wasn't. That's wild. Yeah. It hadn't taken off for eight years since you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. But as soon as I left the hospital, it went from 2% of what I was doing to 20% of what I was doing right away. 
And, you know, one of the ways I understood that literally is that people would call the hospital and say, I want to talk with Dr. Strax about TMS. And whoever was on the line would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of TMS. Like PMS, yeah. do you want OBGYN? Yeah, there and, were too many roadblocks for them to yeah, get to. Yeah, and, and those roadblocks went away completely. And so, so it immediately hopped up, you know, 10 times what I was doing in the hospital. And then... That grew to about 33% uh, pre-pandemic. And then during COVID, it became easier for us to work with people who are outside the Chicago area. And we hired yeah. some some other yeah. practitioners to do that. So it's probably 50% of what we do, but still 50% of what I do is more medical also. And I, um, you know, I do a fair amount of endocrinology work with people. I serve as a primary physician for, for some people. And... And so I wear a lot of different hats. And so it depends what people are coming in for. I think when we opened up our center and, you know, tried to learn everything we could about running a business, which you don't learn much about in medical school. Well, I don't know if you learn much about it in psychology. No, nope. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but one of the things that they, you know, somebody encouraged me to do was to set up our core values. And our, our first two core values were and continue to be five and a half years down the road. We, we listen and we care. And it's amazing how much we get, uh, how much, you know, gratefulness we get for doing those two things. That if I can can sit and and hear what's going on, it makes it easier to help people if I know what the the story is. And there's very little caring that goes on in the medical system these days. And and I think people know that and and respond to it when we can provide. It. And it's not just me; it's everybody who works with us. Yeah, and you know this is really something that I. I've reflected on a lot in my own journey. It's actually something I talked about with Dan Ratner too. Um, I mean, I'd always had an issue with systems. That was kind of my personal thing. I had an issue with authority. I didn't do well in school. And then even when I was doing well, I was not the easiest supervisee. I just had, you know, my own path, my own ideas. Um, but I see for for others as well to really be uh, a creative thinker to unfold um, really the expansive vision that lives within all of us that allows us to give all of who we are. I mean, I just found it very, and I was just sharing when I was still getting sick, my decision to leave the clinic, I just found it very difficult. There were a lot of those similar barriers, um, but it wasn't just barriers to clients getting to me. You know, I was also still in sort of these power dynamics of being a trainee and having, you know, and so it was hard for me to shed those um, aspects. But yeah, they're just, I didn't have the space I needed to, because you don't, I think it's like you said, you don't even know all of what's going to show up until you get give yourself that space and you know and then the vision just starts to go and you're like oh this is even more integrative than maybe i even thought it would be and now all these other pieces are falling to place people are finding me because you just created the space and i i do think you know um systems are great because um 
then we can rail against them. Those who, those of us who need to go outside them can have them as places where uh, they 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 serve a very valuable purpose. And some people, um, I feel, you know, their life path is to work from within the system. You know, is to sort of do. You know, and I think there's a lot of people like on the TMS list serve and. Um, who are committed to, and you may be as well, to sort of changing like systemic policy and things like that. I just saw that for me, my greatest service to the world was to get as free as I could and to then, you know, create as much space and sort of expansion as I could so that I could really find the people who were meant to find me um, and I could basically, um, you know, chart my own path, which I, you know, I think in your own way you have, and I imagine it was pretty freeing to start to do that. It's been really freeing for me. And, you know, people ask me about it fairly regularly. It's fairly unusual these days that a, a physician would leave a big hospital system to open up something smaller. Yeah. My first day. And so I left the hospital on he was friday doing the math i think maybe friday september 1st of 2017 and and so i took the weekend off monday was labor day and then i opened up my clinic on tuesday i think it was september 5th 2017 and the first day was so good that i realized at the end of the day i would never regret leaving yeah. the hospital yeah and it you know it was a combination of things I like to do with people yeah. who I like to work with. One of my longtime patients gave me a tip. Like I gave her the bill at the end. She's like, that's not enough. I'm giving you one. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, I came home at the end of the day. I said like, it could crash tomorrow. I will never regret having done this. And, and I still don't five and a half years down the road. There are days that are stressful. There are days sure. where, where I get frustrated, but I will never, ever regret having made this change yeah i mean you know so my path which is you know still very messy and unfolding in a very different way um uh it's been at times the most scared i've ever been and yet at the same time i knew i wasn't going back because you know so even as i left that you know i left a lot. I didn't just leave my clinic. I I left sort of being a traditional licensed clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. um, even though I call myself an intuitive psychologist, it's I'm out on the edge in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and people, including my parents, would be like, you know, but you you could always go back. If it doesn't work out, you get a job. And but I just knew I was like, that's a cool idea as a safety net. But I'm never going back. And and even as I was driving across the country, I had no idea where I was going to live. I I didn't know. I knew very little. But I could feel that the intensity of the fears showing up were a signal that I was expanding into something greater. You know, I talk about this with, I'm sure you do as well, with clients who are like, how do I know when to listen to the fear? When, when the fear is actually like, oh, there's like a tiger there and I should probably, you know, I should probably listen and turn away or, or, or do something different. And how do I know when the fear is actually just a signal that I'm meant to keep going and expand through it? And one of the things I'll say is... As we start to heal trauma, we start to 
pull power away from a lot of this fear conditioning that has been the guiding force for most of our lives, guiding our thinking, guiding our actions. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be enough, validated enough, successful enough, healed enough, whatever. And we start to cultivate what I might call like an an energetic home, um, this this compass and this level of discernment from the heart space that is guided by love, by excitement, by joy. Most people have no idea that they could actually be motivated by these things. Most people think, <laughs> no, motivation has to come from self-punishment and money and whatever. But there is a path where we can be motivated by those things and at least be excited by those things. And so for me, I knew that, you know, and what I'd say to others is if there is a part of you that, 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 that going in this direction is resonating in the heart, it's exciting you and there's fear mm-hmm. is a good chance that you can, you can move through that fear. And that fear is actually just, it's meant to, it's fueled to be sort of transmuted and expanded into because, um, that is how we continue to grow. Mm-hmm. It's right. I mean, there's so many different pieces of that. You know, one thing I thought as you were talking is, is people ask me a little bit more as opposed to the fear, the pain. How do you know when to push through the pain? How do you know? Yes, yes, yes. The yes. pain is asking you to, to, to right. listen to it. And, you know, a lot of that is you gain experience with it over time. But I think, you know, in my experience, of trying to, you know, moving out of the big hospital center, opening my own business, hiring people to to work with us and, and growing it. You know, one of the things that I really, really try hard to hold on to is this idea that I can't get as far as I want to go unless I make big mistakes along the way. Yeah. And it took me a lot of people I really respected saying that a lot for me to to start to believe that but but it it sort of changes this idea of like what exactly are we scared of i have to make those mistakes and when i first interpreted it i was like oh if i get really lucky i can i can get through it without making mistakes or but it's not the mistakes are a necessary part of moving forward and so so what exactly are we scared of yeah. when when what we're scared of is actually what's necessary and it so really starts to turn it starts to turn fear on its head it's totally i mean it's it sounds almost cliche because people say this a lot of the time you're like oh just change your attitude change your perspective but if you really are able to change your perspective it literally changes your reality because yeah. that is a reality is a manifestation of our conditioned beliefs and emotion states like it's how mm-hmm. we're seeing the world and so yeah, giving yourself that that belief and that faith that you're supposed to make mistakes. So much of when I'm working with myself or, or anyone is like, whether it's, yeah, and often when people are coming to you in pain, that that seems to be the thing, that seems to be the thing, even though, you know, my experience, the, the pain is actually just um a signal to how you know it's almost like it's it's a beacon for the conditioned beliefs and emotions that were already there to latch onto like because what i would say to people is you know when pain shows up and maybe there's helplessness maybe there's suicidal ideation maybe there's despair and fear 
I would say, if I could take away all your pain like that, do you think that all those things would go away? And, you know, naturally you might think someone would say yes, but a lot of people know intuitively, probably not because they didn't, those things, the tendrils of those things didn't just start with the pain. We all respond to it differently. And that's because of our own conditioning, our own ancestry, our own lineage. You know, I don't think we come into the world as blank slates even. So, you know, the pain is just a signal for what, what are the ebbs and flows of that stuff, that cluster of beliefs and emotions that we're working with. And not only do I feel we need to fail in our circumstances, we actually need to keep revisiting those beliefs and emotion states so we can start to see what it is and it's, and to see that that's not us. That's not our truth. That's not our nature. And the more we get some separation from that, the more we can with as much grace um, as possible. Sometimes it's just getting through it, but revisit those states, but with a different perspective. Like, okay, I think actually I'm supposed to be here. I think I'm supposed to be coming back into fear because I have a different perspective and it's not the same as when, as when I identified with the fear completely, as when I thought it was me and I thought it was wrong even to be scared and I thought it made me weak, etc. Mm-hmm. It really, it, we come back and revisit these places to keep expanding. Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking even, even what you were talking about, about, you know, getting in your car and, and driving out to oh, California no. and, and not scary. having a plan, but I mean, super scary. And then, you know, you, you landed and, you know, and you're doing great. And, and, and then you have those experiences, right. And you, your parents saying that you can always fall back on your psychology <laughs> degree, but, but you know that like yeah. you can be in your car and have nothing and you can be fine. I remember I interviewed for, for a job as I was planning on leaving the hospital, somebody I knew who was doing some cool stuff and, and his wife was helping run the practice. And, and we were sort of talking about that and where it was going, what happened if it didn't, she was like, she's like, look, I'm Canadian. I can camp and I can, (laughs) I will be okay. She got some survival skills. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I'm super interested, um, about Cormendi health really, you know, and I remember you talking to me about it, you know, um, last time we spoke and, um, and actually really it would have been something cause I know you were looking for therapists and people to join at the time. And if I, I, I said, and I said this to my parents, like, I think, I think I need to, I think I need to just almost just completely start over my own way. But if I was going to join anything, joining something like your, or that would have been, you know, the best fit I think for me, I could find within a system that I knew about, because uh, even when I was first going back to grad school, I remember meeting with this woman who I think was an alumni of the school. And I thought maybe it'd be good to meet her. Maybe she'll help me get in or something. Um, but she worked at this integrative, this holistic place. And I just never even been to a place where there were people with varying levels, different levels of expertise, different sources of knowledge, you know, they had like all these holistic supplements out front and stuff. And I was like, this would just be super cool, you know, if, if I could end up in a place like this. And so seeing, seeing Cormendi health and everything you're doing and how you're expanding, I just find that super cool. Um, and, you know, it, it, it influences or, you know, I take some notes for, you know, how I might end up creating something integrative of my own one day. So I'm like curious about the structure. Like, is it, did you have, 
did you have this where it is now did you have this vision going in or are there things um you did people you decided to take in from uh different were were they like um sources were they tools and sources of knowing and modalities that you were already exposed to and familiar with did you take people on that you knew nothing about but you thought like but you learned over time that it was useful how did how did building you know your team yeah i think it's it's been a lot of people who i knew to be honest okay. and so yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. when when i left the hospital so september 5th or whatever 2017 it really was in my mind that i would run it like a solo therapy practice and so i thought it was, it was me in a room and i figured like people would call oh, and i would answer yeah. the phone and i would schedule yeah. them and they would come yeah and it, yeah. it took like 36 hours to realize that that had given me two full-time jobs as an <laughs> yeah. administrator and as a clinician yes. Yes. and and so my wife lisa hopped in she's like you yeah, know i can probably answer phones for you at least a couple hours a week <laughs> and so and so before we knew it she was working 30 hours a week doing that and then like we were so busy and in the spring or winter of 18 i was like oh my god we're so busy it's like we need somebody who can work part-time from home because all we had was a room that we were renting from from a friend like there was no space yeah and and i was driving home one night i was like caroline got fired from northwestern because she wanted to work part-time from home it's like Caroline. So I called Caroline and she's like, Yeah, sure, I'd love to help you out. And then And this was uh, pre this was pre-COVID. This was pre-COVID, 2018. Yeah. And 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 so Caroline joined us a couple months later. I was driving home one night. I was like, we are so busy. Like we need some help. I was like, wait, Dolores hated she was awesome she hated working at the hospital so I called Dolores. <laughs> yeah you were just recruiting everyone who was getting exiled. <laughs> Um, and so, and then Caroline's friend, Alexandra, who she had worked with, Caroline's like, I think you should talk to Alexandra. And so we brought Alexandra in. And then the first practitioner we hired was Michelle Graham. I don't think you know Michelle, right? I don't think so. So Michelle's awesome. She's awesome. And she's a class. She, she would argue if she were here, but she's a plastic surgeon, physician's assistant. So she worked at Northwestern for 10 or 11 years on in the plastic surgery department. And so her mm-hmm. job was to be in the operating room and see patients post-surgery. Mm-hmm. And she had some of her own pain issues that she's talked about publicly and um, started getting interested in yoga and became a yoga instructor and then did some somatic psychotherapy training. And so wow. she and I got introduced that way because I had done some somatic psychotherapy training as well. And so she would shadow me occasionally. And then she moved out to uh, to Colorado to be with her boyfriend, now husband. And I think early in pandemic, like we were having a conversation, which we'd have periodically and recognized that with, with telehealth laws being relaxed during the pandemic, we could make it happen. And so Mm -hmm. she, she joined us and she's, she sees patients two days a week remotely with us. And, and then we realized that, you know, I was busy and having trouble providing the services. And so that's when we decided we were going to, work on bringing some psychotherapists into the practice. It's probably where I, when I reached out to you to see what you were up to. And, um, and I called a friend who had done some of this 
work and she and I talked about it and she had a colleague, uh, Dr. Lauren Shapiro, who we uh, connected with and it seemed like a good match. And, and so she had been at Northwestern also and we knew each other from there. And so she joined us a couple of days a week and then she was busy. And so um, yeah. she uh, put us in touch with Dr. Jan Dubinsky, who also had been at Northwestern. And, uh, and, and we talked with her. And so she sees patients uh, a couple of days a week. And actually she, um, is the one person at the moment who's seeing people in person in mm. our space in Chicago, which has been great for, for her and for our clients. And then, uh, Erica Walker, who's out in Los Angeles, who I don't know what you oh. know, but she had been part of the pain psychology center and was in the process of leaving. And so she does a little bit of work with us and she and I had known each other for a couple of years and had shared some patients and some ideas. And then, um, and then we got a call from just make, doing the math, making sure I'm not leaving anybody behind. So, so two more people actually. <laughs> so, uh, so we got a call from our accountant who said, my son is a physical therapist and he was telling me the other day about how he's really interested in his mind-body connection and there's this Dr. Strax in Chicago and he's, he's super interested in what Dr. Strax is doing and, and our accountant finally was like, well, you know, he is my client. And, <laughs> uh, and so, so Brandon uh, reached out to us and he's been seeing people on a physical therapy level, which has been super helpful and super interesting. And there's a tremendous amount that can be done from the level of the, um, the body. And, mm -hmm. and so he's been with us say a day a week. And so everybody's, you know, they're nobody's full-time job other than mine is with Cormendi, but, but everybody's involved. And then, so I'm going to say this on air because it is now out there. Uh, Dr. Howard Schubiner is leaving his hospital in Michigan and is interested in staying in the space. And so oh my the God, current plan so cool. is for him to see patients with us on, on Tuesdays in the year. That's so cool. I love that for so many reasons. Firstly, I love that you didn't, you know, you're just like, yes, yeah, it's going to be me in the off and because the vision the way I think about when we sort of take these leaps is like, we're not supposed to see the whole picture. We can only see the limited, the vision that our limited ego mind can comprehend at the time. But by taking the action, things start to expand and it just started, you know, and this is my yeah. sort of spiritual mind, but like the universe was just bringing you, I mean, your accountant's son, you know, it's just like the yeah. universe yeah. is bringing you these people. Um, I love that. I love and, that. And I think that, so the two other pieces that, that are, I think, relevant to what you're saying. One is that, you know, when I first opened this, and I've talked about this publicly too, like I had this big flare up in my own symptoms and had to work through that. And yeah. so I did some, some work with Christy Jordan, who's an acupuncturist here in Chicago. And, mm -hmm. uh, and she was really good at reminding me about that every single time that I didn't, I wasn't meant to see the whole picture. I was only yeah. meant to see the picture as it was and know yeah. that it would unfold as it was meant to unfold. And so it was super helpful to hear her say that over and over and over again. And then, and then I did 
take some classes in entrepreneurship and joined an entrepreneur group for a couple of years. And so, you know, got some lessons on the business side. And, and one of the big lessons was to, you know, to create a business plan and to, to create a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> and, and what we decided was that our mission was to grow as large as people wanted to support. And so a lot of physicians in the Chicago area and probably beyond, if they're going to move out of a big system into a smaller uh, practice, they're going to create a concierge practice. There's going to be a anywhere from $2,500 to $25,000 a year fee to get into the practice. And then you get medical care from there. So it's by definition limited to a certain number of patients. And we have intentionally decided not to do that and and know that that our mission is to grow and because we knew that then when these opportunities were available we knew that we could we could move in that direction and so that's been important for me and for us is to know that we do have a mission to get bigger and when given the opportunity we go that direction rather than the opposite I love that. I love that you have just sort of surrendered. You know, I feel that when we speak it out loud, where this is what we're, this is what we're signaling to to the universe, and you've signaled like we'll we'll grow as much as needed. So show us, bring us. We don't need to chase the the growth. You know, we'll just just show right. us the way, and we'll go. And I I love that. I also love that you have just so naturally and organically supported by the opportunity of COVID to just, it seems like create these job structures for people that are flexible and just, I, I'm even thinking like, wow, that like totally resonates with me. <laughs> like uh, these opportunities for people all over just to be a part of this in their own way that that works for them. And now you got Schumanner coming in, which is just, yeah, that's that's pretty fun. That's pretty yeah, fun. It, no, no, I think you're right. And I think that it's a uniquely 21st century arrangement. You know, we did this 20 years ago. Like there's none of that structure that we have. Like it's it when when COVID happened Friday the thirteenth in Chicago March of twenty twenty like we opened as a purely telehealth organization on Monday the sixteenth like we wow. were doing enough of it and we're small enough that we we shut down that Friday afternoon and sent out a message that we were going to be open for telehealth we didn't miss a bee and and so and then you know Michelle moves to Colorado and then we realize that she can become part of it and and yes and the the power of people who have other irons in the fire, but also want to be part of this and can give a certain amount of time and a certain amount of attention that that we're happy to to make work for our organization. And I just love that, yeah, your flexibility to pivot with COVID, but you're also flexible, you know, because some people might have been might be like, no, you have to be here, you know, a certain amount. But but your openness and willingness to be flexible ha- has allowed you to grow probably bigger than you, you know, you, you would have yeah. thought otherwise. Um, and I remember when we, yeah, that time when, you know, um, we went to telehealth, um, in Chicago, you know, I didn't like it at first. I felt like I feel disconnected from my work and, you know, we would get on the screens and everyone would sort of complain. And then I saw the opportunity for myself. Like it it actually hasn't been that great for me being in person and, and, and I've come back around to in-person workshops and things like that, but the opportunity to be virtual and and the opportunity that it gave me like i i just it quickly started 
to change. Um, so actually, I want to ask, just because you mentioned of that flare up and then going back to, um, I'm not sure who you said it was, uh, a therapist. Christy Jordan, the acupuncturist. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the acupuncturist. Um, what is your relationship to um, those ideas that I might call spiritual or you might call religious? I was actually just poking around your site and I saw that, you know, at one point, I think it said something like, you know, you were struggling with your faith. And then I think maybe in meeting Lisa, you know, that you, you were, you re-engaged with or discovered more of, um, of a, 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 of a relationship to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious how you relate to those ideas. Are they, are they easily integrated for you? Has it been a struggle at times to, um, be open to, to that kind of language? Which kind which kind of language? Well, so when someone says, when someone says to you, like, you're not supposed to see the whole picture, like, you know, something like that, it's very, it's really easy for me to integrate that kind of wisdom Mm -hmm. because I feel that, I mean, I've always been a seeker and I'm pretty exposed to things that a lot of people would just write off as woo or whatever, but I've also Mm -hmm. seen it start to unfold in my life. And that experience builds a lot of conviction. Um, Mm -hmm. But those kinds of ideas, even, even just the idea that, you know, uh, it's not, our experiences aren't random, that Mm -hmm. even the difficult ones that we were, Mm -hmm. that there's, there was a meaning there that, that there is a, there's a there's a purpose or even a kind of divine plan to how these things are unfolding. Right. I I think you know there's a lot there obviously. Yeah. It I you know by nature and by training, you know, just what you said that like you're not supposed to see the whole picture. Yeah. I'd be like I can't even imagine like me listening to something. Yeah, like how that is true. It's a lot line up and yeah. Um, but I'm sure that people told me that in in medical school or residency training or other times, like you know, the, the role of physician is to do this or do that. But but I can't I can't not, and so I can't can't not hear people's um, physical experience and their social experience and their emotional experience and their spiritual experience. And you know, the the illnesses are interesting. I I had that illness when I was 28 that led me to to reread Dr. Sarno for for the second time and and start down this pathway. The experience I had leaving the hospital system and setting up Cormendi it, you know, I was doing a lot of running for a few years. I was, you know, I've always been an athlete. I was, I was a division one varsity athlete. And, mm-hmm. and so sports and athletics have always been extraordinarily important to me. And it was that fall. So we opened up in September. It was sometime in October or November. I, I think I hurt my foot, but I, I was running and I just, I couldn't run. Like I would go out in the morning and I just couldn't do it. And, sort of descended into these four or five months of just extraordinary pain and fatigue and achiness. And I threw my back out a number of times and, and it was not fun. And, and I did a lot of work. I did a lot of trauma work. I did a a lot of uh, emotional work and spiritual work. And I learned so frigging 
much, like my experience, you know, like I said earlier, right? I know people, I understand people. Like I understand people so much better now than I did before that experience. And, and even when I was in college, had an illness that lasted nine months where sort of that changed me as well. And, and so each time I have been sick like that, it's been a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous growth period. Yeah. For me. Um, and because, yeah. go ahead. Good. Well, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that that really is how I see it. And it's probably even, I mean, there are a few reasons why I feel um, I'm not big on boxes and labels. So I, I you know, it's, there's a few reasons why I felt like I don't really use like a ton of TMS language specifically. And actually I'll ask you um, if you still use and how you feel about that languaging, because I just felt I could speak about mind body experience in a way that was even more integrative, even though, you know, the TMS field is a burgeoning field and, and relatively it is expanding from more outdated landscapes, but I felt like I needed even a little more freedom in the way I spoke Mm -hmm. about things. And, and that I have no doubt that, everything I've experienced, I was meant to experience to support me in what I'm here to give in this life path and how it's, and yeah, it's not to say I'm not, you know, uh, really fucking uncomfortable and, (laughs) um, doubtful and like, why did I choose this? Why is this part of the, you know, but you know, coming out of it, I mean, you know, the the main thing, like the chronic fatigue syndrome thing, I mean, that's big, been one of the biggest gifts. And that was like 10 years of suffering, but it was been mm-hmm. one of the biggest gifts that I've received being here. So, yeah. And I, you know, I use that language with patients sometimes, not everybody, but some that I'll say, you know, illness is generally frequently a sign that our body is tired of where we are and wants us to go somewhere, needs us yeah. to go somewhere different and it, and if we're still sick then we haven't gotten to where we, we needed go. from this experience yeah 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 and and you know that's you know and you've heard a number of people talk about how you know what, what you and i are talking about at the moment like we're grateful for these opportunities we're grateful for these illnesses and they've taught us things there's no way we would have learned in other ways but what i say to patients also is that it's way easier to understand that on the oh other my side. god yeah we could we can meet people where they're at because no one's fucking <laughs> grateful when they're literally oh. at a level 10 pain oh Okay, thank you for saying that to me, but I'm not, that's that's not helpful. No. Right and so, and then, you know, people sometimes will say to me, like, gosh, I feel so guilty because I hear all these other people saying how grateful yeah. they are. No, that doesn't matter. Although, of course, you want it to go away. Like, yeah. We all want it to yeah. go away. And so, so it's much easier on the other side. Oh, my gosh. And that's why it's this dance. And I find, yeah, I feel like part of my, part of what I have to offer is finding ways to push the envelope a little bit and really, and bringing that information in, in this way where I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything, like someone in doubled over pain, like I'm not here to convince you to just all of a sudden get grateful, but I'm going to, I'm going to share with you what I really do believe. Um, and and how I feel it's unfolded for me because a lot of my own journey now, because it's more public and I'm on social media and stuff like that, people know my story. And that's actually one of the things that's changed from being, you know, in a more um, traditional clinic is, you know, it's more about like be a blank slate. And I'm like, I'm the opposite of a blank slate. People <laughs> know exactly who I am. And that's a good thing. Um, and but yeah, it's finding this way to bring in the nuanced language of 
where people can go without shaming them for being where they're at. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it. you had asked a second ago about the language of it and, you know, do I call it TMS? And I call it TMS because that's kind of how I learned it. You just I used to it. For, yeah. For 15 or, or 18 years. Yeah. I do think that there's not a lot of that particular language out there, but but I actually like the approach best of Dr. David Hanscom, who is up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. who says, you know, we don't call it mind-body syndrome or, or TMS or, or anything else. Like, we should just say to people like, oh, I see you're not feeling well and you're in pain. We have really good ways of treating that these days. Yeah, I like I like David because... I don't, to be honest, I don't go a ton on the listserv anymore because I just felt, you know, where I was going, it wasn't even totally appropriate for me to share some of the things that I had to say. And I just kind of needed to um, uh, speak them out elsewhere, like on a podcast. Um, but, you know, for the for the time that I was on there, I just always saw that he was very committed to his own vision. And, and there were times where it wasn't totally accepted by other people where – you know, but he was, I could just see that he was exploring other, even more expanded ways of like, okay, there's like the nervous system. I know he was really, he's still probably really interested in safety and threat. And then I was like, and I got really interested in that too. Like this feels super important. And, but I think, you know, it could feel to others like, yeah, well, that's very basic in general, but like, what about, you know, like, cause the most popular question on that forum is like, is, is blank TMS? And right. You know, I think at some point it's helpful to expand a little bit beyond that. And it's like, there's a way to see this where no matter what we're showing up with, you know, (laughs) yes, if you bash your knee and it hurts, like there's obviously a direct correlation there. But on some level, everything that shows up in the body to the extent of cancer, it's not to make proclamations beyond the scope of what we're able to do, but to see. And when you read enough and you hear some accounts, you know, it's pretty miraculous what's possible or what some people have have gone through. And uh, there's this book um, out there called Cured by a Harvard psychiatrist, uh, Jeffrey Rediger, who talked a lot about sort of sp- spontaneous remission. I'm putting that in quotes because that was sort of the idea um, uh, that, you know, and I'm sure you probably had this experience like as a medical doctor you know, if you have someone who has some sort of what seems like a miraculous recovery, it's almost it's almost shunned to like explore it further because it seemed like to threaten the medical model that if you were going to explore like how someone recovered from something previously considered incurable, mm-hmm. you were going to go down this path outside the box. But he was like, things are only miraculous until we start to understand them. And- I know, I know. And um uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, who wrote Kitchen Table Wisdom, and so she's uh, a healer in the medical world and has been for a long time, um, may still be, or for a long time was at University of California, San Francisco. And she has a story of doing a project with a group that was was looking to understand spontaneous remission in cancer patients. And, and it was her job to collect data to make sure that people actually had the cancer and they weren't making up the stories. And so she would call the physicians and she has a story where she called a physician and said, you know, I'm calling about so-and-so patient who you saw seven years ago. And uh, he said, are you from the family? And she said, no, I'm actually calling from, 
uh, calling from this study. This is what we're doing. He said, gosh, like, it's like, I remember that patient. It was so curable. I was so disappointed that, that she didn't take the treatment. And, and Rachel said, well, you know, she's, she's alive. She's doing great. He <laughs> said, oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Where did she end up getting treated? And Rachel said, she didn't, she didn't, she chose another pathway and she's doing great. And she said there was silence on the other end of the line and the physician hung up and never accepted another one of her calls. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, this is like the furthest, it's like, this is where Sarna was at in like the seventies, right? Even though there were people still here then, but, but Sarno, you know, is getting a lot of pushback, but now things are expanding and I just feel I'm, and I think you are too as well, an initiate of where we can go and how expansive this really, this idea of healing and sickness really is. And I did see that about um, about David's path as well. And yeah, it's just when you read some of these, you know, one of the first books, my, my parents introduced me to this story by this woman named Anita Morjani called Dying to Be Me. And she literally died on the table, like in the operating room with all these tumors and, but, you know, came back could report conversations that were happening down the hall while she was technically dead and uh, all her tumors went away, you know, and she has this whole story about why and what happened. But um, yeah. And, you know, even for myself, because I think something that I was wrestling with was still even on the edge of what most people knew how to work with in the TMS world. Like, you know, the more vague and widespread pain and fatigue syndromes and, I went in, so in my own experience, that stuff going away was as miraculous. And, and when you experience it for yourself, it's like, no, this, there it's miracles are possible. Yeah. And, and, and I'd say, you know, I was thinking when you, when you brought up this part of this topic, like, you know, what, what miraculous cures have I seen over the course of my career? But I think you're right that when you understand what's going on, they're not miraculous. They're, mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're people getting in touch with what matters to them and, you know, letting go of whatever is sapping the the life energy out of them and moving forward. And and one of the patients I worked with who was young, she was like 20 and, you know, she miraculously got better. It was just five years of her life. A quarter of her life had been spent more or less in bed. And, and she messaged me like six months later, a 21 year old, she said, you know, when I first got better, it seemed like a miracle. She said, but as time goes by, I realize it's not a miracle. It's just you get out of bed every morning and go the right way or the wrong way. And this just gives you an opportunity to to head in the right direction. Yeah. And what I love about that is like, yes, from the limited perspective of our mind at the time, it's miraculous until we expand to allow that to shape our more expansive and collective it's like you're a kid when you're six and someone makes like their thumb disappear that's a miracle you know and and slowly we start to expand and and things become less miraculous but then there are still miracles out there that we're we're going to continue to expand i mean there are so many ways we can expand i mean we could talk about aliens we could talk about lots of things like there's lots of things that we think are miraculous now that maybe one day won't be and that's where I want to be. I want to be on the edge of finding miracles and continuing to be in that place of awe and wonder and not get too comfortable with what I think I know because it continues 
Um, and, and it's interesting too. One, we're talking about miracles. One of my patients who's, who's sort of the most miraculous at the moment, because she had a surgery. And so, and she's in this mind body world and understands it and has done really well, but she had a lot of pain and she met a new neurosurgeon who had a new test that looked at her nerve in a new way. He's like, I think this is the scar tissue. And right. And so that really starts to turn some of this on its head. Like that, you know, how is it that now you go back into the medical world and and that starts to feel miraculous. I know it's, it's like, it, I feel like that's the greatest level of like, because I'm talking a lot about freedom, but like real freedom is the freedom to leave and then come back with humility and be like, Hey, there's still stuff here. I'm not. Cause I remember when I left my clinic, I'm like, I'm actually just going to be like an intuitive healer. I'm not even going to call myself a psychologist, but I, but I saw that that, that was a part of me. That was my path. That is something that people actually respect about me being this sort of bridge between worlds and and to come back and be like, okay, now I feel expansive enough to hold all of my experiences and to go back and dip back in. And certainly if I have a life-threatening thing, I'm likely going to go to the hospital and like, you know, like, um, but I like to have I'm not, I don't want to exclude any area of knowing and possibility because I like having the most expansive healing team and, you know, in my own version of integrative. And um, so, yeah, no, I I appreciate the sort of humility and freedom to go dip back in when you feel like that's, that resonates and that's, that's where you're at. Absolutely. Okay, John. Well, um, I know we're we're just wrapping up on time here and this has been uh really fun for me. So thank you so much for doing this. And I see you uh the the reason I call this podcast Be the Vessels because I really feel that um all of us are here to sort of I'll use a word like channel, you know, a, a source of wisdom that is meant to flow through us and to be a bridge between what we learn and what we know and what we're here to expand into. And um, for me, that's kind of this Western psychology and this more intuitive spiritual realm. But but I see you as a bridge as well from the medical knowledge you've had and all that came before it. And this, you know, incredible sort of like organism, Cormendi Health, that is just growing naturally and you're um you're just guiding it. You're just at the head of this ship and you're allowing, you know, it to be flexible and to continue to grow in ways that I think is really unique and of um a great service to the world. So so thank you. And um and I'll just ask uh where people can find you if you'd like them to. Um, absolutely. We are always happy to talk to whomever would would like to talk to us and uh, consult with us. So uh, CormendiHealth.com is our website and you can get all the information about our practice. And then you can read my blog at JohnStraxMD.com as well. Okay, so great. Either of those will take you to me. So um, Dan, it's been delightful for me to be here and to see you. And, you know, and I did know you when you first got to Chicago and and you and I have talked regularly and it's tremendously I'm literally like getting chills as I'm thinking about it but to see your growth and and maturation and pathway and and being brave enough to to move into the space that is totally authentic to you so congratulations on everything that you've done have done and every step that you have taken I really admire what you have done 
thank you so much. That that really means so much to me. Really, um, yeah. All right, John. Well, um, I'm sure we could talk for another couple hours, and and maybe we will one day. But um, but until then, thank you again, and uh, take care. Thanks for listening. If you like the episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen. And if you'd like to connect with me directly, feel free to reach out on Instagram at drdaniel__atkins or on my website, drdanielatkins.com, where you can also subscribe to my newsletter to stay updated on all happenings. I'd love to hear from you. Until then, may you be the light, the frequency, and the vessel for your highest vision.